Welcome to the Economics Design Podcast. I'm Rob Carroll, Senior Gaming Consultant for Economics Design. A lot of our podcasts cover the work that we do with the design and implementation of blockchain economies. But sometimes we're lucky to have a guest that can talk about how those economies work in the real world. Today, I'm pleased to welcome our guest, Luke Barwakowski, CEO of the popular gaming site Pixels.xyz, to join me to talk about their platform and his experience in Web3 game development. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really excited to come on to this podcast. I've been following you guys for a while. Huge oh, fan. That's great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, and some of the reports you guys have been super helpful for us, Eden. Ah, it's great to, great to hear. Yeah, I would love to uh, to hear a little bit about your story and your background. Uh, how did you get into, uh, into gaming and uh, reach this level of CEO that you have today? Yeah, totally. So my background is, uh, I'm Luke. I'm the founder of Pixels. I wear the CEO and the CTO hat at Pixels. I'm a solo founder of Pixels as well, too. Um, some background on me is I started coding when I was like 12 years old. Um, I started making video games, funny enough, in this program called Game Maker. Um, had to tell a scripting language. And then, yeah, I taught myself web development in high school as well. Um, I went to study at the University of Michigan. I studied computer science and economics and um, eventually went into the real world um, doing software engineering for a little bit. So yeah, eventually I left my job as a software engineer and I started doing some consulting with early stage companies. I was really focused on the DevOps side of things, helping them get solid infrastructure set up and getting their um, infrastructure built as code um, with AWS, Google Cloud, all of that. And as I was working, doing some of that work, I started what became Pixels. So yeah, Pixels um, actually didn't used to be a Web3 game. It used to be a virtual spaces and event platform. Okay. into web three gaming um we had this really interesting tech that was like these virtual persistent spaces mm-hmm. uh, added on video chatting and spatial audio on top of that as well and we kind of built this metaverse technology before that was even like a buzzword that was going around essentially um we sold this tech to enterprise companies we sold it to apple uber rippling twitter we had some decent names that were using this tech but what we That's found amazing. is yeah, it was a cool business, but what we found with that business was it was actually a very difficult business. Um, the key lesson from that was that when we gave people virtual spaces, the usage was really low. They would use them for one-off events, and the best use can, case scenario that we saw was that these people would use these spaces for about an hour once a week, and then they wouldn't use them again. <laughs> um, yeah. So very unpredictable revenue, very unpredictable usage, and we knew we needed to pivot. What you saw a lot of those companies pivot into was remote work because the business model is predictable usage. It's SaaS. It's an easier use case there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we experimented with that. And you know, we built like a virtual office inside of this tech stack that we had, like virtual desk that you could sit at and your teammates could come up to you. And I tried using that product and I absolutely hated using it. <laughs> um, yeah, I would have been very sad if I kept going down that route. So we tried some other stuff out. And the use case that ended up working was we put a game mechanic on top of this tech stack. Mm-hmm. If somebody spent all night playing this game and it was really bad. Um, but that was like the personal conviction I needed to move this tech that we had built into gaming. And at the same time, we had this NFT collection that was using our platform as a meetup spot for once a week. And we started digging into their use case a bit more. And what we found with NFTs at that time, this is about like uh, September 2021. Okay, uh, There was all of these NFTs out there that had monetized users or at least like a high LTV per user um, they'd spent like a lot on these virtual collectibles right and then two they had really strong communities 
and they had nothing to do inside of these communities besides hang out on Discord, right? So gaming and this insight together actually led us to pursuing that a lot more heavily. And we released the demo of a Web3 game where we actually did one of the first avatar integrations of an NFT collection into our game. So you could walk around as your NFT inside of our game. And those two things together actually got us a decent amount of attention in Web3. And we used that to launch our own NFT collection. We raised a small pre-seed round led by Anamoka Brands. And then we started building. Um, so yeah, Pixels is about two years old in its current form right now in terms of a Web3 game. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we've been taking a build and public approach. Our approach is much more building like a startup than it is a game studio where we believe that we still don't really know what's going to work on Web3 gaming yet. And the value out of Web3 is still kind of to be determined. Yeah. So it requires a lot of iteration to kind of find out what will actually work and what won't. So we prefer to test things a lot, um, to test with our community, basically, um, and just take a bunch of risk and have more shots on goal. Um, so yeah, this approach has been working pretty well for us. We have a community of people who have been here for two years now, which is insane. Mm-hmm. We've kind of watched this game and ecosystem grow, and we've been able to make some moves that have gotten us like a bit more attention in the space recently too. Right now, Pixels is sitting at about like seventy-five thousand real daily active users, about like hundred thousand daily active wallets. That's amazing. Yeah, we've done this all on basically no marketing spend too. It's just been this community-first approach, this build and public approach, and really experimenting with incentive design and what Web three gaming can do. So for us, what we're kind of seeing with Web three is it can be really competitive against Web2 games if you set up incentive structures properly, mm-hmm. if you try to innovate in ways that Web2 games can actually take advantage of. And yeah, that's kind of the core thesis of what we're doing. So yeah, at our end, we have some more exciting stuff coming up soon. We're about to start to really experiment with like token incentives when it comes to growth and user acquisition and monetization and all of that. Um, but yeah, it's just been a, a fun ride, a wild ride. Web3 is hard to build in. Oh, definitely. Been fun. Oh, that's great to hear. What was the um what was the NFT project that you guys kicked off with? Yeah, it's called Pixel Beast. Um the second one we did was Chibi Dinos, the third one was Lazy Lion. So Pixel Beast, um, it's funny, it was set up by this BC that was basically like his name's Yohei, and he's doing a bunch of uh AI stuff now. Yeah. He it is like project called Baby AGI. Um, but his approach to VC is really interesting where when he goes into a space, he wants to actually build it at first and test and iterate some things on himself. Um, and he built out this NFT community and his intention was just like it as a learning experience. But yeah, he actually ended up joining around, um, and kind of set all of that up too. And he's been one of our like most helpful investors. Uh, that's amazing. I know, uh, I've worked for a couple of bootstrapped companies, uh, in the past. And when you get those, those first few checks in there and you see that kind of validation from the, from the market, uh, it definitely, uh, makes the long nights worth it. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it was brutal being in the space before. And then yeah, Web3 just started clicking a bit more. Um, it was finally like after a year and a half of working on something that just wasn't really working the way that we wanted to, when the three stuff started clicking, it's like, okay, there's something here. There's something interesting. We started getting some more validation behind that. It was such a good motivator. That's awesome. That's a great story. Uh, so I'd love to kind of dig into a little bit more of the, of the game and, you know, the, you know, obviously the economy behind that. That's kind of what we specialize on here. So I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on on tokens and on um, how Web3 games can approach, you know, using tokens and using this blockchain technology to, you know, as you say, build these vibrant communities that really engaged. Yeah. So, you know, we've been building a game for the last 
two years. Um, we've still kind of structured it in more like releases. So we had the pre-alpha for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a very bad game. Um, but we released the alpha version of our game just over a year ago. And that was when we started to really focus on like the core systems that we have into the game now and benchmarking against Web2 games. If you haven't played Pixels or looked into it, what the game is kind of like is it's like if Stardew Valley was an MMO. Um, so the initial... That's- Right on, definitely builds out was kind of like a farming simulation game, but then we added in some interesting like Web three elements to it too. Like to have a farm, you have to have one of our NFTs. Um, there's some interesting loops where if you don't have a farm, you can go and visit other people's farms, um, and you actually get like a percentage of what they farm on top of your farm. So there's this interesting UA loop there where if you have a farm, you're kind of incentivized to do some you know user acquisition of your own to mm-hmm. get, come to it. Um, and that's led to some interesting stuff. Um, but yeah, we've had that iteration of the game about for about a year. And what's interesting about it is um, we didn't have any incentives baked into that core loop besides just those basic game loop ones for a little bit. Um, and the focus for the last year was basically you know retention and traditional game metrics. Basically, we wanted, to, we wanted the game to benchmark against other browser games in Web 2 before we started to move on to the next stages. Um, and the cool thing is in like the last, you know, 60 days, we've started to get a bit more traction, which has led to spectacular- about 75,000, uh, daily active is pretty darn good traction. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's led to some other things too. So the interesting part is we've had an ERC 20 that's been live into the scheme loop for the last year. Mm-hmm. And once we started getting more attention, the token started increasing the incentives to play the game a little bit. Right. Um, when you play their game before you earn like two to five bucks a month. Um, and with this new traction, we've seen that token price rise a little bit, which has made the earnings in the game more than before. Um, and what that leads to is new user personas coming in leads to really interesting growth loops in the flywheel there. If you manage it properly, mm-hmm. it leads to a lot more headaches when it comes to things like, you know, <laughs> actors, bots, multi-accounters. And I mean, even that, you know, new player persona that comes into the, uh, game when you have those incentives like you see with um diablo with gold farmers or runescape the venezuelan gold farmers as well too yep. you'll start to see that amplified in a token economy even more because the friction's less um you know it's kind of some of the expectation of these gamers too so yeah now we've been getting to experiment to see like okay what does the web3 incentive actually do for growth can it lead to funnels to monetization um you know what are the new things we need to think about when it comes to management of this economy mm-hmm. uh that's been some of the fun and like the interesting stuff that we get hands-on things with my take in Web3 Gaming is, I think everybody knows that in Web3 Gaming, the game needs to be good, but there's a whole other half of the problem set that is equally as difficult that I just don't think you can plan for at times. And it's some of these things that you just have to iterate and build and test with to actually get the uh, solutions under control, or the problems under control, and think about new solutions too. So we've done some interesting stuff there. Yeah, we've definitely talked to uh, to a few projects over the years where um, you know they've they've they had a vision of what the uh, the token economy was going to be and, and what was going to happen when uh, when they actually you know launched it and then you know five minutes after launch the the first bots started sniping their uh, their token liquidity and they're like oh uh, um, it, uh, it it it's definitely a bit terrifying that first time you're you're kind of out in the wild there yeah what's that Mike Tyson quote everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face right <laughs> yeah. it's felt like that a few times definitely. Uh, yeah, this is a great time for, you know, if you're watching the, watching us here in the video, uh, pause it and go check out pixels.xyz. Uh, you kind of get a better idea of what we're talking about here. Sign up, give it a play. Um, and then, uh, come on back to the video and we'll, uh, 
definitely keep talking about uh, a lot of the content that's in there. So uh, I would love to chat with a little bit, chat with you a little bit about the the differences in kind of Web two gaming and the incentives for players in Web two gaming versus Web three, where you know you have obviously you have this real money currency that can be extracted and there is a value that that players can pull out of it and kind of how do you balance that uh, design mechanic around having a a token, having a currency in the game that interacts with the game elements, drives the uh, incentives of the game forward without um, having too much of that value extraction kind of null uh, all of the, you know, the power of the economy that you're building. Yeah, totally. So I think you need to first start with this like landmark thesis that when you build something of value, there is real new value being created, right? So games don't have to be Ponzi's, right? If you build a game, people like it, enjoy it and play it. There is real value that you can actually distribute in interesting ways, right? In the Web2 paradigm, the value that you're um, you know, creating normally gets captured by the game and the term um, in like the form of microtransactions and free to play or um, things like that. Like the game studio is capturing like a lot of the value being created in that game to monetize and profit. The Web3 paradigm is more like re-experimenting with that because in the Web2 gaming world, if you want to grow a game and you want to build a profitable game, basically what you're doing is you're charging your users money and you're spending that money right back on ads to acquire new users. It's extremely yeah, true. formula. It's scientific at this point. Um, in a lot of these game studios, they barely even look at the game. It's just like, <laughs> tell me the pure metrics what's the arpu in this genre what's the retention what's the engagement okay now we know we have a winner uh my my uh user acquisition costs is 10 cents higher than um you know my ltv then you know we sell the game and put it aside exactly so what's interesting is like the web 3 opportunity is cutting out the middleman of ads and user acquisition sometimes where it's like can you create incentive structures that help your game grow we are saying, you know, maybe we're going to take less direct profit here, um, but we think we can more efficiently grow the ecosystem if we create the right incentive structures mm-hmm. to, you know, help our users help us grow, to, um, like, bring in incentives for people to play the game as well, too. Um, what I like to frame it as is, like, there's two things that games will always pay for. It's users that are, you know, playing for a long time mm-hmm. and it's getting new users, right? There's clear um, precedence of this in Web, or in Web 2 gaming. This is what people want, right? Um, so if you can think about your incentive structures in ways that mock that as well too inside of your game economy, then you potentially have something that is more efficient or really competitive against Web2 games at the bare minimum, yeah. like user acquisition, when it comes to like the incentives that you're trying to drive for your company, which is typically a you know, profit, revenue, all of this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, we've been thinking about it a lot like that, essentially. Um, you know, we, it's funny, Pixel became a play to earn game by accident. In the last couple of months, um, you know, our earnings in the game went from like $2 a month to like 20 to 30 um, Just because, you know, when you have a live token economy, you, one, start to experiment with like the distribution of that value. Two, speculation can come into the ecosystem and kind of boost that temporary value. In the long run, um, you know, the real value probably lies at the real value, right? Or the token value probably lies at the real value. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, Web3 is in this interesting spot right now where speculation needs to be something that is under control, um, but it also can kind of be a superpower in the early days. Yeah. You achieve some of the goals that you want that you wouldn't be able to early on, especially when it comes to user acquisition and all that too. Real value still needs to be there. You don't want too much speculation in the ecosystem, 
but also you know, definitely turn on you very quickly and uh yeah leads to yeah. very long sleepless nights but if you played in the mmo too speculation is kind of a part of mmos anyways um i was trading guilds and stuff in mmos for a while where we would flip different items in runescape um do all this kind of stuff like that is actually legitimately fun gameplay sometimes too so shying away from that all the time maybe isn't always the right approach as well but it's definitely a balance right um so for us when we think about managing speculation um we are really really transparent in our communication around everything that we do i think that's part of it um one of the i think the mistakes that early web3 games made was leaning a bit too into some of the narrative and setting player promises wrong yeah um, where you start to encourage people to quit their jobs or um do all this to play a game then you see ads for that on uh, on twitter yeah yeah then you get into some like more dangerous territory where it's like maybe the speculation is driving more of the value of the token than the real value and obviously real value will probably take precedence in the long run right um but yeah there's interesting ways to bootstrap stuff early on as well too yeah i'd love to talk a little bit about your uh your land uh it sounds like yeah the land is kind of the um the core uh base for the users and it's kind of where their experience uh, jumps off from. Can you talk a little bit about that and how users onboard to get that land and get what your general findings have been with it? Yeah, totally. So I think one of these discussions to note on this too is free to play versus um, like own to play as well too. Yes. We have a 5,000 land NFT collection that we dropped back in December 2021. And that's where a lot of our core systems are kind of built around. Mm -hmm. But you can't support a game on only 5,000 users either, right? Yeah. So you need convincing progression um, towards all of this kind of stuff as well, too. So how we view our land right now is we kind of view it as like a progression through the game, mm -hmm. where if you start as a free-to-play player, um, we still want to give you this path of progression. We want to give you this path to you know have a great time. And then this land is kind of like that end progression. So it kind of fits in with our thesis of what we think needs to be on-chain and off-chain as well, too. Um, this is something that we actually have moved around a lot on. At first, I was a huge fan of like full decentralization. I was a decentralization maxi. I was like, everything needs to be on chain. Every single component of our game needs to be on chain, every action. And what we found is our users actually didn't really care if everything was on chain. And it actually wasn't providing much value to our users either. Yeah. And it was super expensive. It made taking it made the time to build everything way longer. And yeah, just for the value that it was giving, just wasn't worth it. But what we found is there's essentially a couple different asset classes inside of our game. Um, there's items that players earn really quickly, mm -hmm. and there's really no use for them outside of the game. There's liquidity in the game for them because, you know, people want these items to progress through the game, but there's no need for these items to be on chain, essentially. They're really low value. It would cost more in gas to trade this item than it would to have this item, essentially. Yeah. Um, and there's no use for them to be outside of the game either. Like, it doesn't make sense for somebody to be using, like, a you know, a berry that they earn in our game or like a, you know, scare it, like a, any crop in our game outside of our game. So that can be off chain and that's completely fine. Um, and we've actually introduced land that's off chain and free to play as well. And it's kind of progression through this as well too. But this land as a higher tier resource and kind of be an anchor in the economy um, where it's actually very nice to have something that's limited, <laughs> um, not per player. Um, when you think about like resource generation, like higher resources as well too gives us kind of like a max global cap of resources to manage inflation, to manage some things coming in. It gives people a thing to work towards as well, too. Um, those are the kind of items, like those higher value items in the game that actually makes sense to have on chain because people want to trade these, like there's progress that can follow them. 
Um, there's like a market, there might be uses outside of our game for other games to want to use them as well too, or like give benefits to people who own this. So having that interoperability is a nice add on as well too. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, there's like secondary marketplaces that might potentially exist around these essentially. Interesting. So you're, so the, you're saying that, so the land, although you did do a drop early on and it's uh, kind of one of the core NFTs for the project, there is this free to play component where you can go in and basically get a free piece of land and kind of start playing the experience and then, you know, hopefully you like it and then progress up into, uh, into more advanced ranks. Exactly. So like this free to play land, it's not as good. It doesn't generate as like full of resources. Yeah. Um, but there's, it's free. It's free. Yeah. And that's also necessary when we think about syncs in the game too, because if we only built syncs or um, like use cases around the um, like, you know, higher tier land, then, you know, the free to play players, they don't really have anything to do and they would just be selling all the resources. Um, yeah, that definitely, uh, that definitely makes sense. I think it's a great philosophy. I think a lot of games, um, you know, very early on were, you know, set to this barrier to entry, you know, you had to buy a $400 nft to be able to even log into the game um i found that to be kind of frustrating i didn't think it was a great uh experience you know a lot of the people that are buying those nfts at that point are the speculators and they may never even log into your game so you're kind of immediately really narrowing down your potential user base but i think when you open it up you let everybody come in give it a try uh you're really you know you're kind of hanging your hat on the merits of the game and the gameplay um then you know i think most game developers will agree that you know, if you've made a good game, um, you want to put as many people into it as possible to be successful. Yeah, 100%. And that's something to note, too, where it's like there are speculators that hold like our NFT land. Mm -hmm. And what we've been trying to focus on is like creating incentive structures that make it better to actually have it in use and also making it easy for these people to um, like have other people do it if they need to. Um, like our preference is that one to one, like it would be a player to like a dedicated player to owning each of these like 5,000 lands and, you know, creating incentive structures that make the land better if it's actually being used mm -hmm. out of the game kind of helps that. Also creating systems that allow people to like manage other people's lands, things like that as well too. Um, because yeah, if we have the sitting empty, it's not doing anybody any good. And it just creates this artificial scarcity for no reason really. So that was something that honestly took some community alignment this round as well too. Like some of these speculators did not like some of those policies. Um, but you can't make everybody happy. And our, you know, focus is on making sure that the economics are sustainable because if we didn't think about that, then yeah. you know, this game wouldn't even matter at all, right? <laughs> and speculation is nothing if the game fizzles and dies. Mm -hmm. So do you guys have uh, like a scholar system in place or is that something that the community has kind of built on its own? Yeah, we haven't done that in our own. Um, and that's something I've been debating if that's something we want to put in or not. What I would prefer is to create systems that like make the game more accessible to the people who want to play from the beginning. So this free play loop as well is important to us. And then, yeah, one thing that's interesting is like we have these battle passes that we've been selling um, that give you more access to the game, more premium features, like more earn opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, sell those for like $35 three months right now. One thing I've been thinking about a lot with these battle passes is more price discrimination around them. So um like we might start tiering some stuff like that a bit more, right? Because a $35 entry point is fine for somebody in the US. In a developing country like the Philippines, it's actually quite expensive. Um, but then you can also start to play with some of the other sides of the components too, where it's like, you know, if we tiered this down, made like a battle pass that was $10 instead, also had less earnings associated with it, 
um, then there's something interesting there, right? So there's different levels of price discrimination, also earning discrimination that we can probably do based on geography um, that we'll probably start to experiment with soon. You guys can also take a look at like a social uh, currency on that, where you know if somebody has a piece of land and you know, maybe they encourage uh, people outside the game or people inside the game to come to their land, if you hit those certain tiers, you unlock a social uh, battle pass. Yeah, so there, there's an interesting system that we just put in place, somewhat controversial, um, but it's actually been extremely effective for multi-accounting and bot prevention. We call it reputation. Um, basically, one of the biggest issues in Web3 gaming is you know bots and multi-accounters and cyborgs. And not a lot of games like to talk about it because it doesn't always make them look good when they talk about it, yeah. right? Um, but it's one of those key issues where if you don't solve it, it's going to be pretty evident. Um, and your game will immediately be unsustainable if you don't put in systems that prevent extraction in that degree. There's a difference between one person writing a script for a game and automating some of their stuff. We don't like that, but then there's a huge difference between that and somebody who can make a thousand accounts yeah. and start to extract currency. So we had a couple of like systems that we were doing before where it was kind of a data science like approach. We would basically look at games, we look at players, we would see um, some of their behaviors. We would like do a bunch of band waves. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not like a very fair system. It feels bad to get banned randomly. Um, and yeah, we call it a lot of false positives in that. Um, and it was just like a game in cat and mouse. What we've done instead is created this new system called Pixels Reputation, where essentially we let you connect to some external um, websites. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've been working with more and more partners. Like if you connect to Mochaverse, this partner that we've been working with who's you know trying to build out this web three reputation system across multiple games. If you do YGG gap quests, if you have some like Ronin in your wallet, if you have like Ronin identity or Ronin name service name, um, all this kind of stuff will increase your score, your reputation score yep. inside of our game. And that means we can trust you a bit more when you start to play the game from a fresh account if you have some of these things connected. Um, and it's also a lot more difficult for you know bots to do all these connections and more things that we add like this, it makes it more and more difficult, essentially. So the whole idea is um, like developing systems that allow us to trust early users quicker so we can give them more privileges in the game economy. We kind of gate game economy from people who have low reputation scores. They can't trade with other users. They can't withdraw their tokens um, until they you know increase their reputation score high enough. And then what's interesting, too, is we have all this in-game data that we know how these bad actors tend to act like. So what we see a lot with um, bots is, you know, they'll make 100 accounts, they'll funnel all their funds into one account, they'll withdraw. Um, we can actually create systems inside of our game that penalize that behavior, lower your reputation. Like if you're a high reputation player, you're trading with a fresh account, we can lower that reputation um, programmatically. And that's actually done a huge, huge favor to cut back on some of this bot uh, detection and some of these like multi-accounters as well too. Um, and it's funny because whenever you do something like this, you'll get angry bothers in the discord being super upset and i think that's a good metric of success right um when you have some people angry about it, it probably means you're doing something a bit right yep you got the got the loud uh loud minority in there screaming at you definitely uh, a good sign um do you uh so on the kind of on the topic of bots do you think that all you know all bots are bad is there kind of a, a scenario where as developers we can look to leverage that you know, leverage those bots, make use of them because they're not going away. It's not something that's going to uh, all of a sudden stop, particularly as we keep adding in 
more ability to extract value from the games. What are your thoughts towards, you know, actually putting those bots to work for you? Yeah, I think there's a really interesting use case of games that are fully on chain and, you know, there's autonomous worlds, all this kind of stuff where making a better bot is the game, right? Um, and yeah, that's an interesting concept. That's not the route that we want to go early on, but there is this reality that bots are getting really good at playing games. Like bots can play Counter-Strike 2 now competitively. Um, so to um, like try to say that your game is bot-proof is pretty naive in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, no matter how complex the game is or game systems are, if there's an incentive structure for people to do it, they'll figure it out basically. Um, so again, it's like the one-to-one isn't so concerning um, compared to like one person making a thousand accounts. So that's what this reputation system is kind of trying to avoid, uh, where it's more like if you can stop that or make that harder um, and start to incorporate other pieces of identity online across the internet, across Web3, across other games, um, then you really, really cut back on that impact, essentially. I think it's a, a really intelligent approach to it. That's great. Uh, so we got a little bit of time left here, uh, and I'd love to kind of talk about some of your experiences in developing your blockchain technology. And I know you mentioned that you were working with the Ronin Network. Um, yeah, what has your experience been with them? What have you thought about that? Yeah, totally. So we actually did something that was, again, kind of controversial a couple months ago. Now that we've done it, nobody's questioned it. Hmm. Uh, we moved from Polygon onto the Ronin network. And the reason why we did that was because there's a huge user acquisition problem in Web3 gaming. It's really, really hard and expensive to get new users in the ecosystem. And like some people have this approach of doing the hard work of like, you know, marketing the Web2 people, um, trying to get them into Web3. Um, to me, that was kind of a losing battle. We were experimenting with that. Like you have to convince these people why Web3 gaming is interesting. Um, it's a really, really high CAC. Like a lot of these wallets or the infrastructure providers in Web3, they're paying like $50 to $100 in uh, customer acquisition cost to acquire new users in the Web3 from the Web2 space. And that makes gaming very unviable if you have that high of a user acquisition cost. So what we think about a lot is the path of least resistance, right? Um, how can we make our lives easier and go after people who already are really interested in Web3 games? And the truth is, Ronin Network is really the only network of users that have actually played Web3 games before. Mm -hmm. Ronin has onboarded millions and millions of players in the Web3 gaming, which is really hard to do, very expensive. And they have a network of players who already are interested in Web3 games. It's funny because, yeah, Axie DAU was down from its peak, right? Axie DAU at one point was like 2 million, um, which is crazy. Um, but they still have all those users onboarded into that ecosystem. They have wallets, they have the Ronin token, like they're ready to go and play games and they're still actually, you know, very easy to reactivate. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the thesis behind the Ronin chain. I've long thought that the relationship between chain and game should be more like publisher to game rather than this technology solution to game. The reality is basically all, um, scaling solutions for web three gaming are technologically almost the same. Um, like I don't care if it's. You know, ZK groups, I don't care if it's whatever. Um, I just care, like, you know, can we get more users onto the game as a game? Right. Um, costs are like something to think about. But honestly, if you really solve the on-chain versus off-chain side of the equation, mm -hmm. really not even an issue anyways, because we don't have that much on-chain that we're paying for in terms of gas now that we've kind of figured out like what needs to be on-chain and what doesn't need to be on-chain. So for us, it's again, like user acquisition and support. 
And yeah, we've seen some great success moving the Ronin already. Um, really, that was a difference maker for us. We went from like 5,000 DAU to um, like 70,000, 80,000 DAU in a couple of weeks, just moving chains basically um, because they have you know a great ecosystem. They have users already onboarded. And then what's cool about Ronin is there's this, um, there's a line incentives between us and them, right? Like the better that we perform, um, the better the Ronin chain performs as well too, because you know they have a better narrative. They have um, like more and more games that will come into the ecosystem and even strengthen network effects further. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's what we were looking for with the chain for a long time. It's like, are there scenarios where you can align incentives um, where growth is beneficial to both of us, and there's you know a beneficial side of like both of us growing essentially. Um, and yeah, we found it with them. They were the ones who like got it earliest on. And yeah, I think other chains are kind of waking up to that fact now that, you know, it's more like a publisher relationship, but the Ronin team really gets it. And then the other advantage with them too is, again, they're the only team in Web3 Gaming that's actually experienced Web3 Gaming at scale. And that comes with a whole host of knowledge that really nobody else has. Um, They're able to save us months of development time right now by helping us work through some of the problems that we have because they've already seen all of these problems. And yeah, that's huge. Um, you know, if I wasn't talking to them every single day, we would have done some silly things that they already messed up on and have learned from essentially. So yeah, the valid the knowledge that they're able to pass down onto us is priceless. And I don't know where else we could get that from. Yeah, it definitely sounds like they are acting like a publisher for you. Um uh, uh how are you kind of communicating with them? Is it just like you have an open telegram channel and you guys are just bouncing back and forth or is there like a whole Ronin community of developers? Yeah, I mean, um, we have a Slack channel that's open. Like we're talking every single day. I'm talking with founders every single day. Um, Jeff, Alex, all of them, they've been so helpful and supportive, mm-hmm. uh, especially with like some of our other goals too, around like, you know, the token, fundraising, things like that. The amount of value has been intense, amazing. And I'm super, super grateful that we get to work with them. That's great. That's definitely a uh, very high uh, high level of praise, I think, for other developers that are listening. Um, so as we kind of wrap up here, I would love to, you know, maybe get your thoughts on, you know, where things are going to be going in the coming year. You said that you guys uh, at Pixel, you have a, a lot of great stuff coming in the works. Is there anything you can talk about? Uh, you know, yes, we have a much that we have. Yeah, we have a much bigger token launch coming up, which is the really exciting thing. And, you know, this is going to bring um, like a whole host of new problems too, right? But that's the fun stuff that we're really excited to get to. Um, It's going to be like a proper token generation event, like, you know, the whole shebang. And to me, that's when we finally really get the playground to experiment with what Web3 can actually do when it comes to user acquisition, when it comes to like retention incentives and all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to be, you know, a lot of iteration experiments experimenting over the next year um but that's like you know finally the fun stuff i feel like this is what we've been working for for two years like when we started set out to build a web3 game yeah like full focus was you know token launch because that's the cool stuff to me and yeah it's finally just around the corner yeah uh, yeah the anticipation i remember uh i've done a couple of token launches and it's uh is counting the hours like uh only 564 more hours left um, yeah um well Good luck to you on that. I know it's going to be, uh, you know, a very exciting time for you guys. That's awesome. Yeah, I won't be sleeping much the next one, but <laughs> that's how it goes. I'm excited. I'm ready. So, what do you see um, kind of happening in the the larger uh, Web three gaming community? Do you have any 
uh, predictions or thoughts on uh, what's going to be coming uh, for this year? Yeah, so it looks like a lot of people are, you know, having that same questioning that we had of like, okay, um, am I in the right ecosystem to be building in right now? And I think we're going to see some more um, like aggressive strategies from chains in general mm-hmm. and a bit more support in those ecosystems as well. I think a lot of these chains realize now that we're coming out of a bear market that um, the support around keeping projects in their ecosystem is important um, and helping these games grow is important as well too, especially now we finally start, we're finally starting to see these games come to life. Uh, we're like two years after that last bull run now, right? Um, it's like a normal game development timeline where a lot of these games are actually going to start shipping and releasing. Uh, but that's going to be super fun too. Um, I'm really excited to see like all these games come and iterate. I still, it's funny, like there's a lot more games coming. I still don't see the space as super competitive because again, like nobody really knows it's going to work. So yeah, a lot of these games are going to have to iterate, try things out a lot. Like some people have some great ideas and we'll all share and like learn from each other. Um, it's going to be fun and it's going to be like pretty cool to collaborate with all these other people building in the space. That's awesome. It's a, a very optimistic uh, view for the year coming in. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to touch on as uh, as we wrap up here? Um, no, I mean, I think like the big thing for us is like there's theoretical tokenomics, right? And then there's practical tokenomics. And yeah, the practical side is quite difficult. So my take is um, you just have to have a live token to actually be able to experiment with this. And speed of iteration um, and testing things out is going to be the most important metric, for, uh, metric of success for people in this space, in my opinion. Um, so... Yeah, I'm excited to see what people come up with, and I'm really excited to see like some other ideas in this space too. It's cool being a front runner, but would love to uh, have some other people, you know, here with us experimenting as well, so that we can all learn from each other. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you all very much for our uh, attendees that are viewing this. We appreciate you uh, coming and watching, and a special thanks to our guest Luke Bawikowski. Um, We appreciate your insight. Um, it's great to, to talk to somebody that's actually out there in the trenches, uh, you know, building great games. Uh, as always, uh, if you have questions about the topics we covered today or you're looking for help with your economy, please feel free to reach out. Uh, thank you, Luke. Uh, and thanks, uh, everyone, for watching. Thanks so much.